well good morning good afternoon or good evening whenever it is that you are listening to us i hope that you were blessed and encouraged and today that you're doing something that is really moving forward the kingdom of heaven remember we need to seek after the lord of all our heart all our soul and all our mind and it's good today that we can turn to the word of the lord and be encouraged yet when you read psalm 12 you may feel um i'm not really being encouraged jamie in fact it even ends on quite a negative tone so today we're going to read the psalm that in many bibles is entitled the faithful have vanished so why not press the pause button read your scripture and then start again and join with us i wonder if you're listening to this blog and you're in need of encouragement it's so often how we as christians and people around the world we need uh, somebody to sometimes hold a, a hand on our back just to pat us just to tell us we're doing well and you could turn on to any social media and you'll see those kind of posts going on all day long but then of course there's a internal struggle that sometimes goes on which tells us well you shouldn't want those things and it's a vanity to ask of those things and so instead we go around in a spiral of feeling low because we're not sure we're doing a good job and we just want somebody to pat us on the back and tell us we're doing okay and then feeling low for wanting that because it feels like that's a bit of an arrogance that comes on today if you're feeling low you've come to this place and that's not the only reason that people come to bible or bible studies but if you are in that then this is going to be something that's going to encourage you and yet on face value it doesn't feel like it is but what we have to understand here is is that this is a psalm that talks about God's answers to issues and situations, ones in which we might find ourselves in on a regular basis. As I said in the introduction, this psalm is often titled, sometimes given that title, The Faithful Have Vanished. And that doesn't sound very much like an encouraging message, but it may feel or be exactly where you feel you are looking around at churches, other Christians. Sometimes you might feel that you're looking around and you're wondering what it is that you've seen. Churches have changed considerably in the last 30 years and certainly in the last 10 years. Our mission seems to be very different in so many of them. And of course, uh, here in the West in particular, many of those churches are a lot emptier than they used to be. We don't have the influence that we used to have in society and we certainly don't have it in politics and in decision making there are those of us that will say that that's good there'll be those of us that say that that's bad but either way that we want to see it the truth is in society christianity is not a central hub the church is not something that people look towards whether they believe in god or not and we are regularly questioned as to our purpose and right and need and in a sense what's written here in verse one the godly man has ceased and the faithful fall fail from amongst the sons of men can feel like the time that we are born into when i went to university i studied history so i know that this is a repeated pattern there have been many times certainly in the history of england where the churches have been there but they've been empty the ministers have been in position but they've been corrupt there have been times where the church has lost its way and just got stuck on the 
charitable giving kind of side instead of remembering the message of the cross and of salvation of things that are to come and it feels very much like that is the time that we're in and sometimes it feels like well maybe god isn't here anymore maybe i made the mistake maybe i shouldn't be following through and at this moment you're thinking gosh i feel more depressed than i did three minutes ago don't worry because there's good news but it's got to go through a little bit more of a darker path before we get there this is a psalm of david and what that means is that david is writing about a subject that we can feel close to because it kind of feels like that's where we are right now the faithful have failed amongst men the godly has ceased people do what's right in their own eyes if it's good for you then it's okay with me but when david wrote this psalm echoing the same thoughts and the same feelings that we might feel he was writing it at a time when israel was its most spiritual in fact it's most spiritual ever it's never returned to the heady days of david's reign of david's impression of david putting god first at the center of all society and the leader the ruler the king was desperately trying hard to get his people to love the lord and yet he echoes not just this one but in other verses other scriptures we've also looked at ones that are repeated by paul in the book of romans there are none that are righteous no not one the fool says in his heart there is no god these are all things written at a time when people worshipped God. You see, when we get to the stage where we look out at society and wonder where is the influence of the church, I'd rather that you didn't look at it as a failing of ourselves, but have a look at it in the same vein as Noah. A man who was faithful to what God had given him to do, who built an ark in which salvation could be sought, who went about preaching righteousness and the judgment to come. He was a man who did his work, and yet he was a one on his own. And in the end, nobody accepted or took the salvation that he was preaching. Nobody saved themselves by coming to the Lord. They all rejected it thoroughly. Do we count that as a failing of the church? A failing of Noah? If we do, I think we're being harsh. It certainly wouldn't be something that the Lord echoes about Noah. And the truth is, something that we've learned through this journey through the Psalm series. And a part of the Psalms which echoes the book of Genesis, that man fell. And that it's not a division of those who were good and those who were wicked but it's the division of those who have realized they can't save themselves and those who continue to save themselves sometimes the church can fall short sometimes we can uh, lose our way but the way that the world is going and the godliness that comes within it well we can give ourselves a break and tell ourselves that prophetically we're taught this is the way that the world will go there will come a day when nobody will stand for the teaching of the cross the doctrines of the bible they will turn upon them and that isn't because the church has failed 
in our short history at times when churches were full and there were faithful people within them. Laws were passed that were so contrary to what we as Christians believe. But then we remember we're here building an ark to help rescue people from this world. We're not here to change the world. And when we remember that, then we can come to understanding that David can write this at a time when everybody is going to the temple, that people are putting God first in their life, and yet he can still talk about how the faithful have vanished. And in a sense, he's describing what we might call a, a false church, or in particular, a flattering church. He's describing one where uh, it's built entirely on people speaking politely to one another, but positive phrases. And that might seem harsh or odd. Who wants to go back to a time when you go to church and all they do is criticize everything that you do? Is that what the psalmist is saying here? Is that what's going on? That's not the challenge that is being shared with us here. Because we should never have been that kind of church. We should never have been a church where we just pull out each other's faults. Even in the books where the behavior of the people of God is challenged to the point that we understand that God's wrath will be poured out in order to bring people back to himself. There is always a message of hope and the plan of God's salvation. So David writes a psalm here that is to encourage you when you look around and you feel like you're alone. Just like Elijah did when he thought he was the only one that spoke up for God. This is a psalm when you feel like God's just being a little bit too quiet. This is a psalm to encourage you when the people who should encourage you, well, their encouragement sounds hollow. Have you ever been told by people you're doing a good job? Have you ever been patted on the back and said, that was great, that really blessed me? But there's a feeling within yourself that it's disingenuous or even that it is just not enough. It doesn't meet the kind of desire you have inside to know that what you're doing is the right thing. Do you know that that's not a vanity? It's not something that's wrong to be seeking to be told that you were going the right way. In a sense, it's like every child is with their parents. Actually, it's like pets are with their owners. They act in a way and they want to know, is that behavior right? So if your dog keeps yapping, it is your job to say no. But it's also your place to reinforce positively when it's a yes. Now that's general parenting. It feels like it's gone the way. It's not the easiest to do. Who wants a fight after all? And so the description of people who speak vanity with one another, but there's a double heart. Oh, that's a great job, you've done wonderful, whilst telling the person down the road that the problem with them is this, this, and this. Friends, if we want to see one another develop and grow, then it's not wrong for us to look at helping to suggest to others, particularly if we feel that strongly what the Lord has put in our heart, but to tell them that they're doing everything right and to tell everybody else they're doing everything wrong is to, of course, create an environment that is the opposite of the command that Jesus gave to us, which is to love one another as Christ has loved us. It isn't a place of love. See, Jesus said in that phrase, 
This is how people will know that you're my disciples, because you love one another. And that act of love is not found in the way that we are nice to one another. It's found in the way that we want to develop and grow one another. And so he makes this description. But most of the theologians, the expositors of the Bible, when they look at this, they tell us that there's something quite fascinating about Psalm 12. And that is that this is another one of those Psalms, like Psalm 2, where David happens to hear God speaking. The middle verses, shall we say, are not written by David. They are the words of the Lord. They are prophetic, direct expectations to go out. And it's this. Jehovah shall cut off all the flattering lips, the tongue that speaks proud things, that is said, with our tongue we shall do much, our lips are our own. Who is the Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord, I will set in safety. He pants for it. For the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Lord is speaking here. And he doesn't start off very positively. The Lord will cut off flattering lips, the tongue that speaks proud things. There's a an understanding here that when we are the kind of person that goes in and just tells people they're doing a great job when they're not doing a great job well that's flattery and it's worse when it's double-tongued where it's flattery here but it's actually somebody that pulls down somebody else over there the truth of the matter is yes we can find what is good about something we don't have to come in negatively but the lord is saying that this isn't the church and this isn't love it's actually a, a divulsion of faithfulness. It's the belief that uh, that God can't see or God won't do. It's even the idea that if we teach positiveness and we show people how to be positive, that that positiveness itself will build the kingdom. But the Lord teaches us only Christ can build the kingdom. It's not about a positive mental attitude. Now, that might get you out of bed in the morning. That might help you to stop taking a substance. That might help you to stop uh, committing sins or cheating. A positive mental attitude might help you to overcome any kind of attitude that's in your mind. But that isn't what we need to build. What we need is to be obedient to the will of God. Because it's he that's building the church. And he's building it on his word. And he's building it on those words. And so we might see that we can solve the problem by answering and solving the justice issues or, or trying to get into social problems or trying to help people with their mental issues and attitudes. But the truth is that we're not experts on any of those things. Even people who have studied are not really. But God knows the mind. He knows all things. And if we were obedient to that will then friends, we'll have the right words to say, we'll be in the right place at the right time, and we are listening to what God says and speaks in that nature. And the Lord leaves us with this phrase, the words of the Lord are pure. Like silver tried in a furnace seven times. Now, you probably have never been involved in the melting of metal process, or maybe you have. But it's something we've seen or we've played on video games or come across somewhere along the lines. The idea that 
metal, which is a particularly hard subject when melted to a certain degree, melts. But in that melting, its impurities tend to rise to the top. With some metals, those impurities are then scraped off. With others, they have to be melted, solidified, beaten, and then melted again. And when it comes to silver, the way that you purify silver is by constantly melting it, allowing it to cool, beating it with a hammer so that the impurities come off and going back again, round and round again. And it would be considered that if a piece of silver had gone through that process seven times, which would also, by the way, have greatly reduced the amount of silver that was there, it is the purest. Now, silver has a reference in scripture. Whenever we see silver in the Bible, there's a typological message. It's a metal, it's a substance, but it also is a reference to the atonement. That means the sacrifice that Jesus made in your place. And how do we know that? Well, every male firstborn would have to give a shekel of silver to the atonement. That's why we can connect silver to that. And you'll see silver all over the Bible, particularly in the temple. And that might help you in your own personal study. When you're reading something like that, you can see, well, this is a type of the atonement. So what's it teaching me? And then this time it's teaching you that actually the answer to the question, the oppression of the poor and the sighing of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will set in safety. He pants for it. That's the Lord pants for it. I will through my word set the atonement. Hence why. We see in verse 7 the phrase, you shall keep them, O Lord. You will preserve them from this generation forever. See, we might look to the problem and think, well, if somebody has a, a meal in their belly, then we solve the issue. Or if we can solve the world hunger or solve the world crises. But the truth is, the problem is sin and self-seeking. And they can't be solved with words. They cannot be solved with flattery and positiveness and supporting your community. They can only be solved with the atonement, the sacrifice, the silver of God, which was tried in the fire seven times, the purest salvation there is. And when we understand that, then in the life that we live now, we are preserved for the eternity that is to come. And it'd be nice if that was the last word on it, but it isn't. Because David then speaks in to remind us something, that that's the promise of God that stands. Yet, in the world that we live in, well, the wicked are on all sides. And in particular, when we start to praise the wickedness of men, when the church, when the people of God, we start to look at what is wrong and we call it right in order to try and win people over. Friends, we allow the wickedness into our door. It's not easy to be a Christian in the 21st century. There's much that we believe that at this moment would be the opposite of what even would be considered morale and right. But our faith is not in the law or in the lawgivers, but in the Lord and in his word, which is tried seven times in the fire. Others may say this means that God isn't loving. But throughout the whole history of the world, and by giving his only begotten son, we know the truth and the proof that God 
truly loves us and wishes that all men may be saved. The Lord bless you. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. And if you are interested in finding out more information, then why not go to our website, which is www.thelittlescrollbiblestudy.com, where you can find our blogs, other things for you to get involved with, including videos that we've uploaded via our YouTube page. But at the moment, most importantly, we are setting and creating a study hall group, which gives you the opportunity to both hear the studies of others and share your own with a group of people, a small group, that you can come and bind and draw close to. So why not join us for that? We hope it would be encouraging and a blessing to you.